Questions to ask yourself before major financial decisions. This is going to be good. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Brian, I think it's really interesting. Uh, you know, most big decisions we make in life, not, not, not all of them, but most big decisions have a financial aspect to them. And I love that, you know, for what we do in our day job, we get to be feeling financial advisors. A lot of times we get to help counsel folks through how to make those decisions and how to think about it. So I feel like we've seen a lot of decisions be made, and we've been sought for counsel for a lot of big, major decisions to be made. Well, I also, I go at this from when I thought of this topic, it was more of a curiosity. Okay. Because we had, and I'm going to do this a little out of order, but you remember we had, you know, the next millionaire next door. Right. And, you know, and that supported a lot of the research from the millionaire next door mm -hmm. is that, and I want to give these stats is that. When you think of wealthy people, successful people financially, sure, you find out. It, I was shocked to find out that majority are, are first generation. Yeah, um, and, you know, and, and here's here's the stats. In 1996, 80 percent. When Dr. Stanley came out with the Millionaire Next Door, right. it was 80 percent was what was quoted. When Sarah did the update mm -hmm. on, on the research from 2016. Now it's 86 percent. So that number actually increased wow. on first generation millionaires. But this is what blew my mind, and this was also in Sarah's book. There was an 1892 study that found that millionaires, of the millionaires from 1892, so there were some, Yep. 84% were first-generation fluid. Do you see how That's 80, pretty consistent. 86, yeah. 84? So that leads me to, from a curiosity standpoint, is what makes someone more successful than their peers? If it's not being born into it, Let's start isolating the factors. Yeah, so the is it that IQ? Yeah. You know, because that's the next thing. Is so maybe it's all must be intelligence. Mm -hmm. I mean, do these people have a higher IQ? So I went and I, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. But I did a little research on that because I was like, well, are successful people have Just higher smarter. IQ? Are they geniuses? Yeah. And here's what: there's actually a long-standing study. It's the longest running longitudinal study in history. It's called the Terman Study of the Gifted. Okay. And there was a, a, a researcher, Lewis Terman, from the early 1920s, who investigated 1,500 children between the ages of 8 to 12 with average IQ of 150. And just to, for everybody out there, um, I know Bo will probably tell us his IQ, but for those over 140, you're considered genius. Okay. So... And, and here's the thing. He started doing this research on these students, and it kept going. So I mean, these are 1,500 kids from 8 to 12 years old that were classified as geniuses based on their yeah, IQ. Yeah, based on their IQ. Okay. Their average was 150. And, and here's there were some successes from mm -hmm. the research. The average income for Terman subjects from, in 1955 was $33,000. The national average at the time was 5000 So almost seven times larger. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Two-thirds had earned college degrees, while a large number had gone to attend, you know, professional degrees where they were doctors, lawyers, business executives, and scientists. So Two-thirds were highly so, educated. So you hear those data points, and you're like, wow, okay, so lots of income uh, if you look at it from the average, but that could be skewed if there's some that did really well compared to, some, you know, the, the rest of the, that's not That's average. That's sure. not median. And then two-thirds earned college degrees. Well, you kind of expect... What are smart people with high IQs going they're to do? They're school. going to go to school. Yeah. They're, they're really good at school, so they're probably going to do that. And this is this is the the part I thought was interesting. Terman 
the, the success stories were the exception more than the rule. And Terman even stated that the majority of subjects pursued occupations, quote, as humble as those of policeman, seaman, typist, and filing clerk. And then he finally concluded that intelligence and achievement were far from perfectly correlated. So just because someone is born with a tool set of a high IQ or the predisposition to be intelligent doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful or pursue so a high we've vocation. Kind of, we've kind of marked through IQ. It's, it's great if you're smart, but that's not what's required. So let's talk about behavioral. Okay. There's the whole research study, marshmallow test. We've heard about this where they take the young kids, and I'm so mad I didn't do this on my kids, um, where you, you, you put them, this was a study that was done where they put marshmallows in and they tell the kids, hey, if you will just defer the gratification for a period of time, 30, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Sure, that's minutes, the language they used. That you will get more sure. marshmallows. And, and that what they ended up finding out is, is that those who could show social control, and self-control and discipline appear to be more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, this made complete common sense. Now, I will tell you, there's all kind of new research that came out last year where people are trying to figure out if it's tied to your social economics sure. and your childhood, you know, where you're raised by wealthy parents. I think it, it all comes back to, if you take out that stuff, it still comes back to self-control and discipline appear to be highly correlated mm-hmm. to success. To success yeah. And you can even go back to the Terman study. Um, you know, after Terman passed away, he had a research assistant um, Melita Odin, did okay. I say her name right, Bo? Melita, yeah. Melita, I like that. Sounds even better. That sounds better. Um, she carried on his research after he passed away. She um, looked at the hundred most successful subjects and she classified them as Group A, and then the hundred least successful of the subjects. Okay, class, so kind of C. top end and bottom end. And here's what Group A exhibited: prudence of and forethought, willpower perseverance, and desire to excel. So there's some mental behavioral thoughts there on, on what common traits It's all behavioral. Yeah. If you think about it, a lot of those things, yes, they had intelligence, but it was very much behavioral. And when I hear the word, you know, where it's talking about, because I, I wrote these down, I, I should have highlighted them, prudence and forethought. That's creating a plan. Yeah. And, and, and then um, willpower, perseverance, and desire to excel. Well, Deferred gratification is the prudence and willpower. Yep. And then, you know, I talked about the creating a plan. And then the third one was perseverance and consistency to keep moving forward behaviors that support long-term goals, meaning that goal-driven people, that is a behavior. Yeah. That we talk about ambition. That's right. Has to, all these things tie into. So I started now that we know the three components, deferred gratification, creating a plan, and then that ambition or perseverance to want to reach the goal. Can we group questions off of these things that you ought to be asking? And bring, I know we went a long way there to get to the big questions you ought to ask before, before any, major financial decisions. And that's any financial decision, right? Yep. So whether it's a purchase, an investment, a career change, or anything major financially, there are some common questions you should work through, kind of like a flow chart before you make the decision. And we broke these into those three categories. So the first one is deferred gratification or and discipline. So here's the first question you need to ask yourself. Is this a want or a need. Uh, just from from what you we started smiling. From what we do for a living, right? If most people asked themselves that question before they made a purchase or did something with their money, how much better off would they be? No, for sure, because a lot of what we do in a consumer society is not by the needs, we're buying the wants. That's right. I mean, and so that, that leads to the next question. 
If it's a need, is this the best option? Okay. If it's a want, what is my why and motivation? Mm -hmm. Because a want is potentially you could throw it out right. and it, make sure it's not pride. Make sure it's because there's nothing wrong with it being happiness. Sure. I like it when you know when wants are happy, but make sure it's not because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's, right. That's what I mean when I talk about pride. Um, carrying on, what type of sacrifice is required to make it happen? Yeah, I th we, you, you mentioned the need one. I think that's a huge one. Is this the best option? A lot of times we justify some of our consumption decisions like, oh, well, I need a car, yeah. right? So I probably should go buy that fancy new sports car because I got to get to work, yeah. right? Uh, the question is, is that the best option? Is that the option that makes the most sense? So I think that's, I still want us to pass through that because I think that's a huge one. Well, yeah, because we've talked about it, like cars. I don't have a problem with you having to finance a car for three to four years, mm -hmm. especially when you're starting out. But if you're buying a luxury brand, no. That's right. No, because you, you should go back down the food chain of cars if you're trying to buy a luxury brand and you're financing it for long term. Yep. That doesn't make sense because you probably need to do something a little more right. affordable. Um, what is the true cost? Oh, that's a, that's a huge one. Uh, you know, we talk about all the time this thought uh, of, opportunity cost, right? So every time we make a decision with our money, we're making a decision to do something and a decision not to do something else, or actually making a decision not to do everything else that sure. you could do with those dollars. Um, and I think I've heard you say this, like, or what's a real easy thing that you tell young folks all the time when they think about spending money right out of college? Well, every thousand dollar decision you're making when you're 20, mm -hmm. you know, so you think, oh, well, What's the big deal if I buy that ni go to that nicer apartment or yeah. I go get that nicer car? Those car payments is only two hundred dollars more a month. Yeah, you know, you stack that up. That's twenty four hundred dollars a year. You multiply that by eighty eight. You quickly see that you're probably taking two hundred thousand dollars from your retirement just for that one year's worth of behavior. That's right. So, what is the true cost? Is something you ought to ask yourself. Am I spending my money on what really matters to me? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when you actually start tracking, you do budgeting, you have a cash management plan. If your money's all disappearing, but you don't find that you have this fulfilling career where you're you're giving where you want to give, you're not saving like you want to save. What are you doing with your money? You're definitely not spending on what really matters to you. As a brief aside, one of the things I think you said was great. When you're first starting out or first trying to get your head wrapped around this, you kind of need to know where your money's going. If you don't have an idea of kind of, I'm not saying you have to budget, but budgeting is a great first step if you've never done it before. You need to kind of understand where your dollars are going to determine if they're going to the right place or if there's some course adjustment Well, necessary. and that leads to this last question on this category before we move to the creating plan. Before I buy this, am I saving and giving enough? I will tell you, I have found just because you can doesn't mean you should yep. um, if you haven't fulfilled some of your other obligations. Right. I, I have thought about this with cars. I've thought about this with houses. There's things where sometimes from a cash flow perspective, it looks like I would have no trouble paying it. But then you think about, wait a minute, have I set up? You know, like I have a special needs daughter. Mm -hmm. Am I saving enough for her future? Sure. You know, or the other thing is, am I giving enough? Yep. You know, if you if you know if you have charitable goals, like you want to tithe and things like that, you have to ask yourself before you go take down something that's more for you. Mm -hmm. If you haven't checked all the other boxes right. in your life, so let's move on to the next category beyond deferred gratification that's and right. discipline, and that's creating a plan of action instead of dreaming. So here's the first question: Is this a small? medium or big decision. And that again, that one's just so viable to dive into because how often do we make decisions that we just think at the time, oh, that's just a small decision, no major impact. I'm going to buy the nicer car, but it's just a car, it doesn't matter. 
when it can have real, especially if you're like financing for seven years, yeah. it can be a big decision if you don't really take the time to recognize it is a big decision. Well, and I think there's an even a better way that you can ask this a different way too, is what is the lifespan of this decision? Sure. Is this a, a day, week, months, years? Right. Because small stuff, you know, truthfully, I want you to get comfortable with your behavior that you're not sweating the small stuff. Yeah. Like if you're just talking about, do I go out to eat today? That's a small decision. Right. Yes, it's going to have an impact. You just want to make sure you don't die from a thousand paper yeah. cuts. So you don't want those small decisions stacking up. But hopefully you're not really having to get so stressed out by the small ones. Yep. If it's a, a, a medium decision, that's something that might stick around for, uh, you know, 12 months, 18 months, sure. even up to two years, that probably is more like the automobiles, the annual health insurance That's renewals, right. um, annual savings goals. You'll, you'll want to make sure you're paying attention because they do build up to long-term decisions, but they're, they're not, if you screw this up, it's not, not going to derail it's you. It's not going to completely take you off. And then the big decisions, these are the ones that you better measure twice, cut once. We're talking about real estate, pension elections, mm-hmm. social security, you know, public versus private school for yep. the kids, college savings, you know, you health care, yep. career changes. I mean, these things all play into that long term. You better make sure you're figuring it out because it has a big tail that drags, follows you around for the rest of your life. And so once you kind of assess whether this is a small decision or a medium-sized decision or a big decision, the next question you immediately have to jump into is, does this delay or accelerate my ultimate financial goals? If I'm making a big decision to make a big investment, is that ultimately moving me towards my financial independence goal or whatever that is? Or is it actually moving me away from that because I can't use that capital for something else? Uh, Same thing with medium decisions and even, even the small decisions. If your goal is to save up for a trip, maybe you don't need to stop and get that Starbucks coffee that morning. I mean, that's a really simple example, but you have to do You do have to assess, are these decisions ultimately moving me towards those goals that I want to accomplish? Sure. Under planning, I've also asked myself, because this is something I struggle with, I do it probably too much, is have I educated myself enough on this purchase or investment? So you make sure, wow. think about like healthcare. You know, it's so many choices like health savings accounts, you know, what your deductible is going to be. You kind of need to understand how good – that's why we have resources out there, moneyguy.com. It's searchable if you go look at our archives. Go out there on YouTube. We have a whole bunch of videos out there. Go and educate yourself before you make that big purchase. Also, who are you taking advice from? Who is influencing your decision on things? That's going to help you with the plan. And if something happened, would my family be okay? That's a big long-term planning one that you need to pay attention to as well. Have you checked the boxes? Do you have estate documents? Is your insurance, whether it's life or health or disability, are those things where they need to be before you're making this major financial decision? And then here's the last one, and we've done content on this too, is how do I make sure my kids are not going to fail financially? One of the biggest things when you are successful, you heard that stat that I started the show with is that it's somewhere between 80 to 86% of millionaires are first generation, meaning that they didn't inherit it, right. they made it. So that means somehow second, third, you know, kids, grandkids, it's that whole, you know, short sleeves to short sleeves within thir- three generations. Yeah. How do you make sure that doesn't keep happening with your kids? Now, I will tell you, the forces are against you, so you really have to work on that planning opportunity there. So let's move on to the third thing, which is that ambition, that perseverance and consistency to keep moving forward with behaviors that support your long-term goals. The first one we had on here was, does this line up with my long-term vision? 
How important is it? Yeah, this is one that I think is really interesting. And, and I, when I was thinking about an example of this, I stepped away from the financial realm for a second. Because okay. a lot of people at the beginning of a year, they come with this New Year's resolution. They say, oh, you know what? For New Year's, I'm going to cut out sugar. And maybe you want to do that because you have a beach trip coming up or you want to be healthy or whatever the case is. But how important is that thing? Is it really going to give you that staying power versus, and we've seen this with close friends of ours, maybe they had a cancer scare. And their doctor said, hey, you got to cut out sugar because cancer cells feed off of that. you got to get rid of that. That's a behavioral change that the impact of that decision is very, very important relative to what it is you're changing. Your financial life is the exact same way. Does it line up with ultimately where you want to be? And how important is it in the grand scale of do I really need to stick with whatever this decision I'm making is? Sure. Um, I, I like this one. Do I have any major regrets or buyer's remorse? Mm. I, I like this because it's, 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 it's challenging you to learn from past experience. Have yep. you made a purchase that you look back on and there was something to learn from that? Sure. That's going to help you with that ambition as well as the learn so you don't make the same mistakes twice. I, I'm always amazed by this one. When we talk to somebody for the first time, I say, oh, well, you know, back in, I did this investment that one time and this is what happened and I lost this money or I got locked up in this insurance yeah. product. But I got this new one, and it's different. Let me tell you, you know what I mean? It's, you got to kind of realize, have I, have I been here before, and is this maybe something I should avoid? Well, and that leads to my next question is, do I have a fear or blind spot that's holding me back from achieving more? If you find that you're making the same financial mistakes, maybe you are buying those dumb doctor deals over and over again, that is an issue. So you need to ask yourself, do I have something in my behavior or just the way I, I, I perceive my worldview that's creating a blind spot? Make sure that you're taking that account because right. you can plan better and be more successful if you go ahead and are aware of those issues. Yep. And then we'll kind of close it out with, do I make enough to fund all of my goals? Mm -hmm. That's that, talking about being fueled by ambition. Yep. Guys, you know, if you get built racking up credit card debt or you're looking at your life and you're unhappy, this is the time to kind of figure out. Where am I at? Am I on that right vision plan to be successful? And one of the great things, you know, this is talking about making major financial decisions. And maybe your major financial decision is to buy that second home or upgrade the house or get a new car or whatever, or go on that trip or whatever it may be. One of the great things to do is if you find yourself answering, well, man, I don't, I don't know if I make enough to do that. I don't know if I have enough to do that. It is fuel on the fire to get you moving in that direction. And the payoff is much better when you do it at the right time than doing it the wrong time and suffering because you made that decision prematurely. I feel like this show was a great conversation starter. A lot of you guys are going to watch this. You go first, be like, oh, good. Just because my SAT scores weren't good doesn't mean I'm not going to be great at being financially savvy and successful. And you're at the right place. The Money Guy Show has been doing content since 2006. So I want you to look at these questions. There is a good chance that every one of these questions has a show that will support it. So if you ask yourself these questions and it leads that you might have some things that need a little more uh -huh. attention, go out to moneyguy.com. I want you to kind of look and try to educate yourself to make sure that there's nothing that's holding you back. And then a lot of you guys go realize you hear these questions and go, man, I need somebody that kind of serves as my coach through these things. I'm really struggling to make sure I'm making the most appropriate and right decisions. So maybe I need to bring in somebody professionally to look over my shoulders, make sure I'm not blowing this great opportunity with this because I am the CEO of this big financial corporation because I've been good and disciplined and I've exhibited all these behaviors. That's why I want you to pay us back. Yep. Take advantage of all this free advice, grow, become successful, let that abundance cycle work for you. But then when it comes time that you want to get somebody to look over your shoulder, make the right decision, 
and give us a chance. You know, reach out, moneyguy.com, aboundwealth.com. You can go to the Contact Us page. We love to be your teammate and person to help you navigate these key financial decisions and questions you need to be asking yourself. Measure twice, cut once, and live a great financial life. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen. Talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.